fifth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles finds these words, so I'm telling you, hands off these men, let them alone. If this program or this work is merely human, it will fall apart. But if it is of God, there's nothing you can do about it. And you better not be found fighting against God. We invite you to think with us from this subject, faulty thinking. Faulty thinking. Everybody reads this passage and they praise Gamaliel for what he says and for how it plays itself out in uh, this particular context. But I think that you need to dig a little bit deeper, and I think that there's more here than is immediately present on the surface. First, let's ask this question. What led Gamaliel to say what he said? If you look at the verses preceding the passage, we see that when confronted by the Sanhedrin council about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus against their wishes, the council's wishes, Peter said, it is better for us to obey God rather than man. Peter spoke a word for Jesus. He said, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed by hanging on a cross. God set him on high at his side as the prince of peace and the savior of the world. God established him to give us the gift of changed lives and forgiven sin. And we are witnesses to these things. More than that, Peter continues, the Holy Spirit, who's given to all who obey him, stands with us, confirming every word that we have said. And because we have the Spirit, then in the power of the Spirit, we declare that it is necessary to obey God rather than man. My brothers and sisters, being on mission for Christ demands that we speak truth to power. And there is no greater truth that we can speak than to challenge world systems and individuals to recognize their need for Jesus to be their Lord. World systems and most world leaders only give grudging acknowledgement to religion of any sort, Christian or otherwise. They do it primarily to mollify people and to present themselves as something other than what they really are. And what they really are is obsessed by power. If they don't have it, they crave it. And they'll do anything that's necessary 
to get it. If they do have it, then they will do whatever they think they have to in order to keep it. This was true in the first century, and it's true in the 21st century. This is why 1% of the world's population holds 45% of the world's wealth. It's why in the richest nation in the history of the world, millions of people go to sleep homeless and hungry every night. But in response to these realities, it is incumbent upon Christ's church on mission for him in the world to hail him as Messiah to leaders and systems that oppose him. And that's what we find here in this text. Peter and the others spoke truth to power, and in response, power was ready to strike them down. Luke records that when Peter finished speaking, the Sanhedrin, the power holders, became furious and they wanted to kill them. But there was one in the group, Gamaliel, that spoke up on their behalf. His words were heeded. The apostles were allowed to go on their way. And because of the outcome, folk want to give Gamaliel credit about being something that, in fact, he was not. So let's dig into Gamaliel for just a second. Gamaliel is best known to us as the mentor of Saul of Tarsus, who we know better as Paul the Apostle. In Acts 22, Paul credits Gamaliel with being the one who trained him thoroughly in the history and laws of the Jewish people. But for our purposes today, I want you to see Gamaliel as a one percenter. That's what he is, a one percenter. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he had power, he had celebrity, he had acclaim as a teacher extraordinaire, a man prolific in his understanding of Jewish ways and customs. He was a man of some wealth who enjoyed the privileges that accompanied his socioeconomic status. And as a result of these things, power, celebrity, wealth, and privilege, most Bible scholars laud Gamaliel for the wisdom of his statement to his Sanhedrin brother. I'm telling you, keep your hands off these men. Let them alone. If this program, if this work is merely human, it'll fall apart. But if it is of God, there is nothing that you can do about it, and you don't want to be found fighting against God. Sounds good, doesn't it? And to be fair, Gamaliel helped give the apostles a break from further persecution and perhaps even death. And for that, we give him proper respect. But here's the problem. Gamaliel never embraced Jesus as the Messiah. We credit him because he also was not 
intolerant. He was not narrow-minded. He, he, he saw the danger of presuming to think for God. And my brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it's always dangerous when we think that we can insert our will as God's will. See, that's what happened last week. The insurrection that took place in Washington, D.C. was the effort of deranged wickedness to violently assert their will upon our nation in the name of God. Now, I've told you this before. Everybody who goes to a place with a steeple on top doesn't mean that they worship Jesus. These people worship a racist God. They worship a xenophobic God. They worship a mean-spirited God. They worship a terrorist-approving God. That don't sound like the God we serve. The God they serve bears no resemblance to the Christ of the Bible, loving and compassionate and humble. If you want to know why younger generations are turned off to religion, it's because they're turned off to hypocrites who speak in the name of Jesus but have never met him for themselves. That was Gamaliel's assessment in, in, in this situation. He, he feared that by going too far, the Sanhedrin would be fighting against God. And Gamaliel said some wise things for which he should be favorably remembered. But as laudable as Gamaliel's words were, if you take a closer look, what you see is a man who's trying to straddle the fence. Consider verses 36 and 37. If y'all watching me, you ought to have your Bibles open right about now. Not long ago, Feudus made something of a splash claiming to be somebody and got about 400 men to join him. He was killed, his followers dispersed, and nothing came of it. A little later, at the time of the census, Judas the Galilean appeared and acquired a following, but he also fizzled out, and the people following him were scattered to the four winds. You're going to ask me what's the problem with that. I'm glad you asked. In these words, what we see is that Gamaliel made a faulty comparison. Judas and Judas were Messiah pretenders. Each came along during the time of Jesus. Each tried to start his own movement to overthrow Rome and to prevail with Israel winning out. Each failed in their attempt. These men were insurrectionists. Y'all know something about insurrectionists? They came on the scene for a moment. And then they were gone as quickly as they came. And these are the men that Gamaliel offers up as a comparison to Christ. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that it's a faulty comparison. Know this today. We can't add Jesus to any list of people. I don't care how wonderful the list may be. You know why? Because Jesus belongs in a category all by himself. 
John says that he's the only begotten of the Father. John the Baptist says that he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Peter says he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul says he's been given a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. And Jesus says of himself, who Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you try to compare Jesus to anybody else, you're making a faulty comparison. Jesus didn't come to deliver one group of people from another group of people. He came to deliver all people from the clutches of Satan, from the clutches of sin, death, hell, and the grave. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us that through him we might know the righteousness of God. And it's always a faulty comparison when we try to put Jesus on a list with other folk. With all due respect to the great men and women of religious history, Jesus is in a category all by himself. Then, more than making a faulty comparison, Gamaliel used faulty criteria. Listen to what he says. He says, if this work is merely human, it will fall apart. Gamaliel's logic was that the determining factor of whether something is of God or not is its visible success. If it's a success and lots of people follow it, it's of God. But if not, then it's not of God. Can I tell you that that's faulty criteria? We said earlier that Gamaliel was a one percenter. Let me tell you something about one percenters. One percenters base their conclusions on visible success. That's why Trump thought he was going to win, because all them folk were out there calling his name. That's what happens to one percenters. As the church of Jesus Christ, we don't follow something just because it looks to be successful. We don't follow something just because other folk are following it. We have to use different criteria. We have to ask different questions. Questions like this, is it right? Is it moral? Is it true? Is it consistent with the word of God? Yes, there is objective accountability, but there ought to be more to our religion than just a love affair with numbers. Gamaliel never suggested that the apostle's testimony was true. He simply said, let's just step back and watch and see how it does. And sadly, my brothers and sisters, many of our churches fall into that same trap. There's a one percenter mentality in many of our churches. We look on television and see these mega ministries with multiple thousands of people attending, and we label the ministry a success because of large crowds, and then we try to mimic their success. We'll do anything, teach anything, preach anything just to get the numbers up. But can I tell you there's a difference between growth and swelling? See, growth is healthy, but swelling is an indication that there's an infection somewhere. And we can't allow infection 
to invade the body of Christ. We can't do things that lead to infection. Yes, we want physical growth, but not at any cost. You can't change the gospel just to draw a crowd. How can you preach Jesus and not talk about love without limit and without restriction? Service to the least, forgiveness, no matter how grievous the offense, just to give the appearance of success. Success can't be measured by the size of the crowd, but what we do with the crowd that we have. I've been around for a while now. I've seen big churches get small, and I've seen small churches do great things. It's not about how many folk there are. It's about how much Jesus is in the folk that are there. Finally, because I know y'all want to watch football, Gamaliel came to a faulty conclusion. We said earlier that, 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 that we can respect Gamaliel's tolerance for Peter and the others, and, and there's wisdom in his suggestion that the Sanhedrin leave it all up to God. But here's what I want to leave you with. There is no record of Gamaliel ever being saved. He chose to be neutral about Jesus. He chose to be dispassionate about Jesus. And if we come to know about Jesus and choose not to enthusiastically submit to his lordship, then we have arrived at a faulty conclusion. Jesus made it very clear that you can't be neutral about him. He told Nicodemus, a colleague of Gamaliel's, anyone who trusts me is acquitted, and anyone who refuses to trust me has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. He said in Matthew 12 and 30, he who is not with me is against me. He says in Revelation, chapter 3 to the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm closing today, church. I don't know about you. I don't want God to spit me out of his mouth. I don't want to be guilty of faulty thinking. Life is too short for faulty thinking. Problems are too big for faulty thinking. People are too mean for faulty thinking. Setbacks are too great for faulty thinking. I want to be sure that when it comes to my soul, I'm thinking right, I'm walking right, I'm talking right. And the only way to do that is to be on board with Jesus Christ. You know... I'm indifferent about a whole lot of stuff these days. The older I get, the more I become indifferent about stuff that I used to have strong opinions about. 
I'm indifferent about what groups you belong to, what clubs you belong to, where you, you, you know, whether you do this or whether you do that or all that other stuff that y'all, I, I, I'm indifferent. I, I don't care no more. Y'all do what y'all want. I'm indifferent about Jack and Jill and I'm indifferent about the Eastern Star and I'm indifferent about the Prince Hall Masons and I'm indifferent about the sons and daughters of Isaac and Rebecca and I'm indifferent about the Kiwanis. What do I mean by indifferent? I mean, I can take them, I can leave them. I understand what they're doing. I also know that they ain't what I'm studying about. What am I studying about? Jesus and him crucified. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to talk with Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I want to serve for Jesus. I want to help folk in the name of Jesus. I want to proclaim in the name of Jesus. Jesus is my heart fixer. Jesus is my burden bearer. Jesus is my mind regulator. Jesus is my door opener. Jesus is my all and all. It works. It works. It works. It works. Can't say that about all that other stuff. But when it comes to Jesus, 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 it works. And so I stand and proclaim that there's no other name, no other name that can soothe my sorrows, no other name that can heal my wounds, no other name that can open doors for me that others have closed against me, no other name that protects me from my enemies, no other name that keeps food on my table and clothes on my back and a roof over my head, no other name, Jesus, 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 Jesus! Jesus! And quite frankly, I just can't understand how you can say you've met him and not get excited about it. Lord God, thank you for a word that challenges us about the caliber of our thinking. Thank you for a word that reminds us that there's no one else like you and that we need to be excited about you. Bless this simple word which has gone forth. May it be a help to those who have heard. Now to God, as we open the doors of your church, we ask that something that has been said or done would touch the hearts of those who have been a part of this worship experience and cause them to surrender their lives to you. We ask it humbly in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. No.